The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. Well, I hope that all of you had a happy Thanksgiving, that you got to spend some time with family and friends. And for those of you who are back from school, I hope that you got a chance to have a, a little bit of a break and maybe catch your breath, and especially that you had the chance to relax a little bit. Today we are in the fourth, fourth part of our series called Begin Again, and what we've been doing in this series, if you're just visiting with us, is we've been talking about the fact that all of us, all of us, um, many of us, in fact, need actually a fresh start and a new beginning when it comes to our understanding and our relationship with God. Because for many of us, what kind of happened is that we were handed a set of beliefs when we were kids. We were kind of handed a set of truths about God when we were young, which is actually a good thing. In fact, that's what, that's what all of us who are parents, that's what we want to actually do for our kids. But what happened was for many of us, as we moved through high school and as we moved through, through college and into adulthood, what we experienced was, was a series of gaps developing between what it is that we were told about this God and what it is that we actually you know, experienced in our adult life. And, and maybe for some of us, either we, we didn't know how or you know, maybe we weren't necessarily, you know, motivated enough at the time, or, or maybe, maybe you actually experienced some, some traumatic events, you know, in those years. And so for you, maybe even though you wanted to, you just didn't know how to reconcile, you know, what it is that you were told about God with what you actually ended up experiencing in adult life. And, and, and I don't think any of us who have experienced that, I don't think any of us would say that, you know, we, we chose to not believe anymore. It, it was, you know, more like over time, our faith kind of got solely, you know, picked away at, and to the point where almost it leaves us questioning sometimes, do we have any faith, any, any faith actually left at all? And the truth is, most of the time, you know, you're busy enough, you've got work, you've got school, you've got friends, you've got all that stuff going on, so, so you don't even think about it. But then every once in a while, you know, life kind of slows down, and you come home, you have a vacation, you get to see family, you get to see friends, the holidays roll around, and all of a sudden something starts tugging at your heart, and you're like, what, what is that? What is that? What is that? What's going on? Well, that's the reason why, that's the reason why we actually decided to do this series and talk about what does it mean to really begin again as an adult this time when it comes to the whole idea of belief. I mean, what if we could go back and kind of wipe that slate clean what if we really could have a, a fresh start in our relationship and our understanding of, of who God is? What would that look like? And the truth is, for some of us, some of those things back there, they are, they are deeply emotional, and so we can't completely wipe that slate clean. But what we can do, what we can do is actually ask some very fundamental questions, and then we can go and we can look for some real adult answers to those questions, and that's what we've been doing every single week in this series. And so if you're here with us for the first time today, or if you're here and you're thinking, you know, I, I wish my brother was here, I, I wish my wife was here, I wish my friend was here, because this is exactly what they are struggling with, what, what you can do is you can go to our website, you can download our Faith Troy app, and you can catch up on the messages yourself, or you can actually share those messages with someone that you think might benefit from hearing them. And so today, today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about attention we're going to talk about a tension that every single one of us have struggled with at some point in our faith and some point of our relationship with God. And that tension revolves around this, this word up here, this word behavior, because it seems like 
for all of us, for every single one of us, it seems like when it comes to religion, one of the very first things that we bump into, right, are a whole bunch of rules. I mean, there, there's the Ten Commandments, um, but then there's also, there's also the five pillars of Islam, right? There, there's, the, there's the golden rule. There's the, the, in Buddhism, there's actually the five, something called the five precepts. Um, in Sikhism, there's a, a really, really long list of these precepts. And then on top of that, on top of that, in every one of these religious systems, there's actually a whole subset of other rules in addition to those rules. So, for example, if you grew up in kind of two different, two different styles of Christianity, and so, you know, you grew up Catholic and, 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 you know, your spouse grows up as a Protestant, or, you know, you grew up Baptist and your spouse grows up as a Lutheran, when you were first dating, it was kind of like, you know, you, you do know who Jesus is, right? You do, you've heard of Jesus before, just, just, you know, putting that out there, want to make sure you know. And so I think the truth is, all, every single one of us, regardless of what our growing up experience with God was like, I think the truth is all of us have had more than enough experience with rules when it comes to an understanding of God is. In fact, let's be honest. I mean, the rules are actually the part of our faith life. That's the part that we rebel against, isn't it? That's the part that we kind of push away from. In fact, maybe for you, part of the reason why you feel a little distant from God is, is maybe because you were told you didn't do a very good job of keeping the rules. And so because of that now, maybe you, you kind of felt like you're out. Or maybe for you, when you were growing up, maybe you or somebody in your family, they actually broke the rules, and so, and so you were kind of kicked out of a, of a faith community. And so what I want to do today is actually talk about this relationship between the idea of behavior and then that idea of, of belief. I want to talk about that thing of uh, uh, how do we actually reconcile what most of us experience and think of as rules with a God who supposedly created us and a God who supposedly loves us. Now, in order for us to actually think about this connection and kind of to start our discussion today, we need to start with a premise. And the premise is, is simply this, that whenever you, whenever I, whenever we encounter a list of rules, there is always some kind of a relationship that's at work. There's always some kind of a relationship. Anytime you are accountable to anybody or anything, anytime there's a set of rules that's involved, then there is some kind of a relationship. Now, that might be a very obvious thought to you, or, or maybe that's a whole new idea for you. And that's true whether you're talking about a, a secular situation or a, a religious situation. And so, and so the way that we experience this, for many of us, most of the time we can kind of break this down into two different models or ways that we experience this. We either experience what we'll call the family model or the club model. And I think this is pretty self-explanatory because we're all born into a family. And, and I think probably all of us at some point in our lives, we've probably all joined or, or been a part of at least one club or, or one team at some point in our lives. In fact, for me, this summer was actually the very first time that, that I ever joined a, a club because as Autumn will tell you, I'm not really a joiner. That's not my typical personality. But this summer, I actually joined a club. I joined a boat club, as a matter of fact. And, and the very first thing that I got from this club before I ever got a letter from them saying, hey, you know, welcome to our club, was this very, very long list of rules. And so I took that to mean, I took that to mean that I was actually in the club. Now, in, in the family model, and the family model is a little bit different, right, because you're born into the family, and so your parents, they didn't, they didn't make rules to make you a part of the family. You were already a part of the family, and so they established a series of rules for you. 
right? And the interesting thing, as parents, all of us, we know, we only make rules for our own kids, right? I mean, although every single one of us as parents, we've all met some kids that we would like to make some rules for, we don't actually do that because they're not really our kids. So even though we want to, we don't make rules for them because in the family model, this is important, in the family model, the rules are only for the members of the family, right? They don't make you a part of the family, in the family model, you are a part of the family, and so, and so your parents, they establish some, some rules for you. But in the club model or the team model, you actually agree to keep a very specific list of rules in order to have the right to either be in or get in or stay in or continue in some kind of a relationship. And so for me, when I joined my boat club, I had to agree to keep a, a kind of a long list of rules in the form of a contract, and if I don't keep the rules, then, then what happens? Uh, right, me and my boat, we're out. We are out of the club if, if we do not keep the rules. Now, okay, so we pretty much all understand this. Now, here's the thing. This is where this gets a little bit more complicated. When you take this idea and these two very basic things, and you kind of overlay this on top of the question of how, you know, how exactly do I personally, how do I relate to God, then you can begin to see why it is that some of us maybe struggle when it comes to this whole idea of belief, right? Because which one is it? Is it that I'm in, and no matter what I do, I'm going to stay in, but there's some rules to live by? Or is it that I have to behave a certain way in order to get in, and if I want to stay in, I better keep behaving, and if I stop behaving, I'm going to get kicked out? And see, what makes this really tough is that for some of us, we automatically, we hear this and we think theologically, but for others of us, we hear this and, and immediately we think emotionally, don't we? Because, because you never, you have never felt like you were actually accepted. And see, whether you ever begin or you begin again in your relationship with God, the truth is, in life in this world, you're going to bump into these questions all the time. You're, whether you ever begin again or not, you're going to bump into questions like, you know, how does my behavior affect the way that God views me? How, how, how does my behavior affect what it is that God thinks about me? And, and am, I, am I in with God or am I out? And, and, and how, you know, how do I know? How do I know? So you're going to actually bump into the questions like that, at the very least, at the level of conscience. And so what we're going to do today is to try to help us get a handle on answering this question and really kind of thinking about this, if, you've, if you haven't really thought about this before, is we're going to actually look at the oldest set of laws in human history. In fact, not, not, I'm sorry, not the oldest, one of the oldest sets of laws, but the most, definitely the most familiar and the most well-documented set of laws in human history because we find these laws not only in Judaism, not only in Christianity, but surprisingly enough, we also find these laws in Islam as well. You may not know that. So take out your Bibles, open them up to Exodus chapter 20. That's where we find a copy of these laws. If you're using one of the Bibles in front of you, it's on page 118 in the Bible in front of you. Now, last week, we left off talking about a guy by the name of Abraham and the fact that God actually made a series of promises to this guy Abraham. He promised Abraham to make his name great, to make him into a, a great nation, and that he would actually bless all peoples, all peoples on earth, through this man, Abraham. The problem, however, was that when God made these promises, Abraham and his wife Sarah were really, really old, and they had absolutely no children. And, and now we didn't talk about this part last week, 
But so what happens after God makes this prob- uh, promise to Abraham and to Sarah is, is Sarah says to Abraham, you know, apparently I can't have any children, but maybe my, maybe my servant, maybe my servant Hagar, maybe she can. Now, th- this was not God's plan. You know what this was? This was actually Abraham and Sarah thinking they're going to help God out of a pinch that he kind of got himself in because, you know, God made a promise and he didn't know any better because we are clearly too old to have any kids and that hasn't worked yet, so that's not ever going to work. And so Abraham and Hagar, they actually end up having a son and his name is Ishmael. Meanwhile, 15 years later, Abraham and his wife Sarah, they also have a son and his name is Isaac. And so Abraham ends up with two sons. He ends up with two sons, and this is important. In Islam, in Islam, Ishmael is viewed as the answer to God's promise to Abraham. Well, meanwhile, in Judaism and Christianity, it's Isaac who is seen as the answer to God's promise. And this is why, this is why these two religions kind of go off, or these religions go off in their own separate directions with Abraham. And most of what it is that we know about Ishmael, actually we know because of what Muhammad wrote about 2,400 years after Abraham lived. He wrote a whole bunch about Ishmael in the year 600 A.D. Now Isaac himself, this is Abraham and Sarah's son, Isaac, he himself has a son by the name of Jacob, and then Jacob has a a bunch of sons who eventually become the 12 tribes of Israel. And at one point in the area of where these tribes are all living together, there's a really severe famine. And so these tribes, they pack up all their stuff and they head into Egypt, which really was worked out very well for them because one of these 12 brothers actually ended up in a a very high-ranking position in the government there. And, and, And this family kept growing and kept growing and kept growing, got bigger and bigger and bigger, and finally to the point where the ruler of Egypt, the Pharaoh, was afraid that there was going to end up being more of them than there were Egyptians. And so he decides to make all of the descendants of Abraham slaves. And so they're, they're in Egypt for 400 years, and they're all slaves now. And meanwhile, while they're there, they continue to grow and grow and grow. And eventually, these descendants of Abraham, with every generation, they keep passing down these promises that this God supposedly made to them, that they were going to be a great nation, that they were going to bless the whole earth, and that, that they would be famous, and Abraham would be famous. And they just told these stories one century after the other century after the other century. And here they were, 400 years later, two and a half million of them. So, I mean, they definitely felt like they had become a nation, but none of them felt like they were very great. And they certainly, they certainly did not feel blessed because here they are and they're all, they're all slaves. And nobody's heard anything from this God for 400 years. And then one day this guy Moses shows up and he actually tells Pharaoh that the same God who nobody's heard from for 400 years, he is telling Pharaoh to let all of these descendants of Abraham go free. Just let them, just let them go free. And Pharaoh says, no way, no way. That's never, that's never going to happen. And Moses says, you know, you really ought to reconsider that decision because all of a sudden, you know, nature just kind of goes crazy and all these miraculous events start happening. And, and this God, he, he makes things happen in Egypt that, that nobody has ever seen before and, and that nobody could actually duplicate, even though they tried over and over and over again. And after the nation of Egypt is on the verge of, of collapse, when it's right on the edge of collapse, he actually returns to Pharaoh And he tells Pharaoh to to let all these descendants of Abraham go free. And this time Pharaoh says, that's fine. You can go and just just take anything you need for your journey with you and and just go. 
And so Moses, he leads all these Israelites out of, of slavery in Egypt. And again, because all this is actual historical fact, the plagues, Egypt, Moses, all of it, you can find it not only in the Bible, but you can also find it in the Quran as well. And so Moses, he takes all of these Israelites, he takes them to this place in the middle of the desert called Mount Sinai, and, and, and then God tells Moses he's going to actually give to Moses his law. He's going to give Moses his law. And this is important. For generations, for generations, these people have been slaves. They have no culture of their own. They have no society of their own. They, they, all, they've been, all they know is slavery. They, they don't know who this God is. They, they have no idea. All they know is that this God supposedly spoke to their ancestor Abraham 400 years ago, and somehow this God, this God and Moses, they have some kind of a connection between the two of them. And so Moses brings them all to the foot of Mount Sinai, and I want you to listen to the very first thing that this God says to these people, because in this, in this we get an incredible understanding about how it is that God actually wants to relate to, to you and to me, to all of us, actually, to every single person, how God actually wants to relate to us today. Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 1, it says this, And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God. To which it's like, okay, time out. If you are our God, then that means that means that we are actually your people, right? So, so when did that happen exactly? When did we become your people? I mean, how? How, how did we become your people? I mean, I don't, know, you know, I don't know, God, if you really, whoever you are, if you know what's been going on, but for the last 400 years, you know, we've been slaves in Egypt, we, we haven't done anything for you. I mean, we, we spent the last 400 years working for the Egyptians, that's true. And I guess you could say we've been kind of serving their gods, that's true. But we haven't done anything for you. We, we don't even know who you are. I mean, why would you free us from slavery? I mean, why do you, why do you, even, why, why do you even care about us? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I am the Lord your God who has done something for you even though you have done nothing for me. I am the Lord your God who delivered you from Egypt. When you lost hope, when you thought no one was paying attention, when you thought nobody cared from for you, I sent a deliverer to you and I brought you out of Egypt because, because I am. I am the Lord, your God. I have done something miraculous and something spectacular for you and I have not asked anything. I have not asked anything from you. See, don't miss this. Do not miss this. This is God. This is God very, very clearly saying, listen, before I give you my rules, I want you to understand something. I want you to know that you are mine and I, I am yours. And let's make sure that we have our relationship straight. Let's make sure we understand this 
before we have any discussion about your behavior. See, this is why. If you have not read through this event as an adult, I mean, this is why this is so incredibly important for you to actually read this on your own. Because it wasn't until the day before, it was not until the day before these Israelites all leave the the nation of Egypt, it was not until the day before they left that this God tells Moses to ask the people to do anything for him. And then you know what he does on this day, the day before they would leave, you know what he asks them to do? He says, I want you to do one thing. I want you to do one thing. I want you to trust me. And see, this God, he had spent months, he had spent months proving himself to to these people. When you actually read through this text, what you find out is all these miraculous events that took place in Egypt, they didn't happen in rapid-fire succession. Oh, no, not at all. That God had actually spent four or five months proving himself. He does all of these miraculous events for all of the Egyptians and for all of the Israelites to see. He spends four or five months proving himself before he ever asks anyone to do anything. And then, and then on what would be the last night that these Israelites were in Egypt, on that night God finally says to them, okay, listen, I want you, I want you to trust me. I want you to trust me. Because tonight, tonight I want you all to gather together in your homes. And I want you to have a very special and a very, very specific meal. I want you to actually gather in your homes and I want every single one of you to sacrifice a lamb. Which they would have done countless times before while they were in Egypt. But see, this time God said, after you sacrifice it, I want you to actually take the blood of this lamb And I want you to actually put that blood on the door of your home. To to which the people would have heard this and been like, okay, really, God? I mean, that's not going to do anything. And what's that going to do? And and to be honest, it's kind of disgusting. I mean, really, God, what what is that all about? Put the blood of a lamb? You want us to, to, to put that on our doors? And God said, yes, trust me. Trust me. And so that night, all throughout the nation of Egypt, all these Jewish families, they gather together in their home, they sacrifice a lamb, and they take its blood and they put it on the top, on the lintel, and on the doorpost of every door in their home. And then they gathered up all their belongings and they waited. Because tomorrow, I mean tomorrow, they were leaving the nation of Egypt. It was like, really? God, really? I mean, we've been here 400 400 years, and you're saying tomorrow? Tomorrow we're leaving? And God said, trust me. Trust me. And from that moment on, every year, the Jewish people would gather together to celebrate the festival of Passover. To remember, to to remember not the Ten Commandments, to remember not the law of God, but to remember the night when God whispered to a nation of people, I want you to trust me because I'm going to deliver you from your slavery in Egypt. And three weeks later, 
three weeks later, here they are at the foot of Mount Sinai. And now God says, okay, now I'm going to give to you some laws. But let's not forget, let's not forget the most important thing. I, I am the Lord your God. You, you are my people. I am the one who has delivered you from slavery. So now that we understand that, here are some things that I want you to do as you and I, as we actually learn how to live with each other and how you learn to live with each other. And so it was into all of that that God finally gives to them the very first commandment. And when you look at the first commandment, you look at verse 3, look how amazing this is. This is, this is a you shall, right? You shall. You shall have no other gods before me. To, to which the entire nation of Israel would have been like, okay, no problem, God. Why in the world would we want any other God but you? After everything that you've done for us? I mean, after all, you're the one who freed us from 400 years of slavery in Egypt. Why in the world would we want any other God other than you? No problem. You are definitely our God, and we most certainly, we are definitely your people. And see, here's the thing, here's the thing, and maybe this, is, maybe this is new for you, maybe this is a truth that you've known for a long time. The Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments that God gave, those were not a condition of a relationship with God. Those were confirmation that a relationship with God already existed. God was not giving these people these laws to get in. He gave them these laws because they were already in. They were a confirmation of God's relationship with the people, not a condition of it. It wasn't like God said, okay, here's these ten things you need to do, and if you can do them all, you get to be my people. That's not it. And this is, this is the oldest law that we can actually associate with God. This is 1,500 years before Jesus. This is the oldest law that we can find and associate with God whatsoever. And so from the very beginning... From the very beginning, God made it clear, God made it clear to Israel that, listen, you are my people even though you have not done anything to actually deserve that. And now that we have established our relationship, here are some things I want you to do as you learn how to live together and as you learn how to live under, under my authority. Even years later, in fact, many years later, Many years later, when, when the Israelites, when they would disobey God, when they would actually worship uh, other gods, even then, even when they did disobey God, God did not abandon them. In fact, he didn't kick them out. In, in fact, that's what the prophets are all about. All, all the, the crazy-sounding books in the Old Testament, all those strange-sounding names, the prophets, every single one of them are proof. The prophets are all evidence that even when even when people did abandon God's laws, God did not. He did not abandon them. He did not abandon them. In fact, the entire history of Israel is actually proof that God opts for the family model every single time. Now, okay, if you tuned out for a little bit, come on back. Eyes up here, okay? This is why, this is why, don't miss this, 
This is why these words, these three words you've heard me use over and over and over again over the course of the last year, belong, believe, become. This is why these words are so important. This is why if we're really serious about being a church that brings Jesus to people, these cannot just be words. These must be the driver behind every single thing that, that we do. Because you know what the alternative to this is? Belong, believe, become is how the family model actually gets lived out. You know what the alternative to this is? You know what the message of the club model is? Behave, believe, belong. You behave. You do what you're supposed to do. You act the way you're supposed to act. And then you, you believe what we tell you to believe. You think what you, we tell you to think. And then if you do those things, then you get to belong. Then you get to be loved. Then you get to be accepted. See, that's the message of the club. But that's not the message of our God. And it never, it never, it never has been. But see, the truth is, that's the God that some of you are told about. And no wonder. I mean, no wonder you didn't want to have a relationship with that God. No wonder you didn't think that God cared about you. No wonder you didn't want to worship that God. I mean, why would you? Why would you? Why, why would you want to spend any time with that God? Why in the world would, would you think that that God cared one bit about anything that happened in your life? You wouldn't. Of course not. See, if God's relationship, if God's relationship with the nation of Israel really is a model for how it is that God actually wants to have a relationship with us, that even when we rebel, even when we disobey, even when we go too far, even when we go too left, too right, even when we forget, even when we just ignore, that even in spite of all that, that God would never actually leave us, that God would never abandon us, if that's true, if that's true, that is a stunning truth. I mean, that actually tells us something about the length and the depth of God's love, doesn't it? I mean, that tells us something about God's mercy. It tells us something about God's grace. That tells us something about, about God's kindness. Now, to kind of wrap all this up, what we're talking about today, and kind of take this back into the context of what does this mean in the context of the idea of beginning or, or perhaps beginning again in your relationship and your understanding of God. See, when God actually made the promise to Abraham that we talked about last week, when God initiated the relationship Israel that we talked about this week, when you actually read those stories for yourself, this is why I want you to read this so badly for yourself. You can actually open it up and read it yourself. When you do that, one thing becomes crystal clear when you read the text yourself. That, that this was never just about Abraham. That, that it was never just about the nation of Israel. It never was. That it has always been about all of humanity. That this has always been about everyone. And again, here's how we know that. Because remember the promise God made to Abraham that we talked about last week. This promise, Genesis 12. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All the people. Not just all the people that you would become, Abraham. Not even just all the, the nations that you would become, Isaac, or that you would become, Ishmael. But all 
peoples everywhere. All of them are going to be blessed through my promise, God says. In fact, this is why why 700 years after this event takes place, God actually reminds the, the nation of Israel through the prophet Isaiah. He reminds them and he tells them, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation, my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. It's why he says through the prophet Ezekiel, He tells them this, God will save you from all your sinful backsliding and I, I, God, I will cleanse you. I will make you, they will be my people and I will be, I will be their God. In other words, Israel, this has never been just about you. As much as I love you, as much as I have given to you, as much as I have chosen you, my love is bigger, God would say. My love is bigger than just you than just you. My love is for everyone, God was telling them. And so, should we be surprised? Should we be surprised that 800 years after the prophet Isaiah, that God would once again send a deliverer to his people? This time, he sends the baby of Bethlehem, the one that John the Baptist looked at one day and said, look, there he is. There he is. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the whole world. And what does this deliverer do? Before he asks anything of anybody, before he demands anything, before he requires anything, He turns nature upside down, doesn't he? He speaks to the wind. He commands the storms. He heals people. He raises people from the dead. He does things that no human being, no human being could have ever done. And then he simply says, trust me. Trust me. Because the promise, the promise that God fulfilled through Abraham, the promise that God fulfilled through the nation of Israel was received by faith through Abraham. It was received by faith through the nation of Israel. And so should it surprise us at all that the promise that God wants to give to us, to you and to me, that we would receive that promise in any other way, should that surprise us? It's why the Apostle John, the man that that knew Jesus better than anyone, when he thought about his time with Jesus, when he thought about, okay, what's the purpose, what's the reason that Jesus is here? He wrote these words. To all who did receive Jesus, to those who believed in his name, Jesus gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision, or even a husband's will, but born of God. Jesus gave us, Jesus gave you, he gave us the right to become children of God. That means, that means that from the very beginning, from the very beginning, It has always been God's plan to make you, 
to make you a part of his family from the very beginning. And that's where we're going to pick it up together next week. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, for Father, for the person that's here this morning, that's here today, and who feels like the only God that they've ever known, the only God they've ever experienced in their life, is the club model God. Father, I ask, please, in your, in your grace, in your mercy, in your love for us, for all of us, that you would give to that person very specifically that you would give to them a new heart that you would give to them a new spirit so they may actually know who you really are and Father for those who have given up hope of ever knowing you for those who have given up hope of ever trusting you again Father would you please please give to them the gift of faith so that once again they may trust you and they may call you Father. And for the rest of us, for all of us who are here and we know the stories and we, we know, we, we feel, Father, like we, we know you, we know Jesus, we know who you are, Father, for us, I pray most importantly that we would never, ever forget why, why you have us here. It's in Jesus' name.